Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Proverbs 1, 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 22, 6 and 15. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Proverbs 29, 15 and 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming this morning. It's good to be with you, and it's a great privilege for me to minister the Word of God uh, this morning. Cindy and I are proud members of College Park Church and uh, thankful that at one point our, both of our children and all of our grandchildren were attending services here together. It's a great privilege for us. We're, we're very proud of a church that conducts such a God-honoring vacation Bible school in such an excellent fashion. I was here for part of it, and it was just tremendous, and I salute all those who were involved in that. Andrew mentioned that I have the privilege of serving Christ with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. This is an organization that certifies individual counselors as well as biblical counseling training centers. You can learn more about us by going to our website at biblicalcounseling.com. I do want to mention an event that we have coming up soon. Uh, this fall, October 5, 6, and 7, we'll be having two conferences down in Louisville. These are open to anybody that wants to come. Uh, the Monday uh, conference is on transgender issues, and then beginning Monday night, all day Tuesday and Wednesday, at our annual uh, biblical counseling conference, we'll be dealing with homosexuality. And um, again, uh, these topics were chosen like a year and a half or so ago, and uh, my, how timely they are, aren't they, for what's happening in our, in our culture. And uh, since I'm here, I wanted to say a word of appreciation to College Park Church for the faithful support of the ACBC over many years, and even the willingness to allow us to have free office space down at the Ministry Center uh, for many years. We are greatly appreciative of that. Now, as has been mentioned, this month we're in a series of messages dealing with the topic of discipleship and soul care. Andrew Rogers led off with a message from Ephesians 4 titled, I Want to Be Like Christ. Last week, Joe Bartimus challenged us from 1 Corinthians 12 regarding the qualifications for discipleship. And today I have the privilege of leading you to think about discipling children, particularly in the home. My primary text is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and I'd invite you to take your copy of the Scriptures or open on your device to that particular passage. In this particular verse are five words, five phrases 
that should guide how each one of us thinks about parenting. The first phrase I want to draw to your attention is the phrase that talks about the goal of biblical counseling. The goal is to bring them up. Now, in Ephesians 6, 4, when it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The word translated bring up means to nourish up to maturity, to nurture, to rear up. The word is not confined to the nourishing of a child uh, physically, uh, alone physically, but includes the training in the various departments of life. This word, this phrase, bring them up, is a translation of, of one, um, let me catch up here, the, this phrase is a translation of one uh, particular word from, which the language, from the language from which the New Testament is translated. And the word is structured in such a way that it communicates three distinct concepts. First, it communicates to us that children do not automatically grow up by themselves to be what God wants them to be. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Further, Proverbs 29.15 teaches, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So we learn from this phrase in the scriptures, bring them up, that this means, communicates clearly, that that is the parent's duty. Children do not naturally turn toward Christ or toward biblical thinking and acting. Further, this word, this phrase teaches us that this is a command from God which he expects us to obey. It is not one of many alternatives from which you may choose on how to raise your children. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the only option open to you. God commands you to bring your children up. And third, this word, the way it's constructed, leads us to understand that this is a task in which parents must be constantly involved. There's no time, day or night, no circumstance or situation or place that is off limits for carrying out this responsibility. In other words, it is an ongoing responsibility. Think of it this way. If down here is the point in time at which a child is born and comes into your family, and down here is the point in time when a child leaves your home nest and goes out and establishes their own, their own household, and in our culture, that's typically between the ages of 18 and 22, what the scriptures are leading us to understand is, once you enter into the role of a parent, you're on duty for about 18 to 22 years. I mean, head in the game, all right, is what the scriptures are saying. This is important because uh, it's easy for us as parents to kind of go off duty at certain places. For example, I think it's easy for parents to go off duty at the grandparents' house. I think that's one reason why a lot of times children misbehave at the grandparents, because the children are confused, who's in charge here? All right, and by whose rules am I supposed to be living? And, uh, you know, it's nice when you go to your parents' home and you kind of relax and so forth. Another place where it's easy to go off duty is when you're visiting friends. And, you know, you're enjoying the fellowship and encouragement, and it's just easy to relax and enjoy the time, but in effect... You are become oblivious to what your children are doing. A third place that I would encourage you to even think about is even here at church. I mean, it's easy if we're not careful to walk into the church and the family just go in all kinds of different directions. And uh, we could get so involved in our duties, our friends, what we're enjoying here that we forget to, to be involved, to be alert to what's happening with our children. Certainly, we're going to delegate responsibility 
for the supervision of our children at different stages. But mentally, we're in the game. And there's one other place, maybe it's different where you shop, but at the Walmart I go to, I'm convinced. Uh, they've got a machine that when people walk in, they unplug from parenting. Now, the goal of parenting then is to lead our children to love Christ, to obey His Word, and to function as independent adults who think and act biblically. Put simply, it is seeking to make a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think with me about it this way. What do you have when you hold in your hand a brand new infant? You may say, well, a life that's precious from God, that's true. You may say a hope realized, a dream realized. Uh, some might say a lot of bills. Probably all those things would be true. But what I want you to think about is this. From a parenting strategy, what you hold in your hand is a precious life that's going to change your life and influence your life in many ways. But what you have at this point is a, is a little sinner, a sinner by nature, who will in just a few hours, a few days, manifest they're a sinner by choice too. <laughs> all right? And... Another way of thinking about it is this. What you have is an individual who at this point in time is totally self-centered. And who at this point in time is totally dependent upon other people for their care. All right? One way of thinking about parenting is this. When that infant comes into your home, you have an 18 to 22 year job. And what you're trying to do is point that child toward Christ. And you're going to do everything to point them toward Christ, pray, minister the word to them by by God's grace, you'll see uh, the Holy Spirit draw them to himself. They'll trust Christ and become strong disciples of Christ. And because they love Christ and his word, they are others oriented. And because they're committed to obeying the Bible, they're going to think and act biblically, which means they'll be able to leave your home nest and go out and handle life in an adult responsible type fashion. That is a huge job. And for those of you that are raising children, that should help you understand why you feel this burden. It is a burden. It is a load. But it's a good load to carry. And I want you to consider what I've just described is the process of making a disciple. And the scripture that was read first for us today, that great commission passage ends with Jesus Christ saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And for those of you that are in the parenting process and you are purposefully trying to make disciples out of those little sinners that are growing up to be bigger sinners, like dad and mom, um, God promises he's going to be with you. And all the scripture that relates to discipleship comes to bear on that. The goal is that when the child leaves your home, he will love Christ, love his word, and be committed to obeying it. God wants Christian parents, parents to be goal-oriented. We're not just flood-like parents. I mean, we are laser parents. We know where we're headed as, as parents. Now, there's a second phrase in this passage that is very instructive, and it is the phrase in the discipline of the Lord. It's a key strategy. Some would say, okay, Randy, I see that the goal of parenting is to bring the child up, but how do you do that? And there's lots of voices, of course, that would try to tell us how to parent our, child, our children today. But God gives us clear directions on what it takes to bring a child up. The first key strategy is in the discipline of the Lord. Now this phrase refers to the upbringing, the training, the instruction of a child, particularly by act, by discipline, and by correction. It involves providing boundaries for a child 
and then penalties for going beyond the boundaries. The goals are character development and equipping for life in a world full of boundaries. Let me just pause. It refers to the upbringing, the training, the instruction of a child, particularly by act, by discipline, by correction. And it involves providing boundaries for a child and penalties for going beyond the boundary because the goal in the discipline of the Lord is character development and equipping a child for life in a world full of boundaries. Let me illustrate it this way. When a parent says to a four-year-old, honey, pick up your toys and put them away, they're putting a boundary on the child. And what we want, what we're trying to aim for is prompt, respectful obedience when somebody in proper authority puts a boundary on you. Oftentimes when children are given a boundary, just like us as adults, oftentimes we don't like that. And sometimes the children will not obey. And what the discipline of the Lord means, this, this particular word means, it means instruction by training. So when you put a boundary on a four-year-old and tell them what to do and they don't do it, something needs to happen to correct the way. All right? Or if you have a 10-year-old and you say to the 10-year-old, honey, uh, turn off your screen. Listen, I need you to go pick up all the, empty all the wastebaskets in the house, put them in the dumpster, and then take it out to the street. Well, a lot of 10-year-olds would want to keep doing what they're doing with their device at that point. But proper authority has given them a boundary. And what God wants is the child to learn how when somebody in authority puts that on you, you do it. Or like you may have a 16-year-old who's been enjoying new freedom since he got his driver's license and has, for the last couple of months, but now has family learns, he's got his first speeding ticket. The agreement was no tickets. And when the parent says, give me your keys, only time you drive now is when we're in the car with you. Now, the purpose of all these boundaries along the way is not to make life easier for the parent, though oftentimes it does. The primary purpose is we're trying to get this child ready to live in a world that's full of boundaries. You know, one of the areas teenagers that uh, in my counseling I've discovered that teenagers oftentimes are a bit misinformed. In multiple counseling cases, I've had teenagers say to me, you know, maybe 16, 17 years old, man, I can't wait until I'm 18 because then I can leave home and I can go live wherever I want to and I will be free from my parents. Is there more freedom when you leave home? No. I mean, we live in a world where person after person after person is putting boundaries on us, whether it's speed limits. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you how bad it is. You can choose to go to a Bible-believing church. They're going to tell you when to stand and when to sit down. (laughs) And you know what? If you don't learn how to live within boundaries that a sovereign God has put on us, whether it's about morality or money or duties in the home or communication or... The Bible said, Jesus said, he that loves me keeps my commandments. And our goal in teaching children to learn to be happily, to live, to be happy living in boundaries that people in authority have put on you is not just so your life will go easy for you in a world filled with boundaries, but we want you to learn how to live with the boundaries that a sovereign God has given you for your good.
And a child who doesn't learn to obey dad and mom is not living in obedience to God because Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So when a four-year-old doesn't pick up their toys when they're told to, the issue is a whole lot bigger than disobeying daddy or mommy. The issue is, honey, you're manifesting a hard attitude that's not contributing to the goal we're after and ultimately will lead to great heartache for your life. Now, it's interesting, God prescribes this kind of training with his children. God prescribes this kind of training with his children. Um, I'd like you to see this. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Look at verses uh, 5 through 11. Nine times in seven verses, the word discipline shows up. You may want to do what I've done, and that is underline every occurrence of the word discipline in this strategic path. I mean, it's obvious what this is about. Verse 5 says, Hebrews 12, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which, uh, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me me ask you to look at me for just a moment. I want to quote that last verse to you. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And everybody said, Amen. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God disciplines us at a point in time, but God's discipline is not moment-oriented. God's discipline is goal-oriented. And parents that are God-like in their discipline of their children, you have to deal with stuff at a point in time. But mentally, your stance as you deal with it, your, mentally, your stance is like this. We're going to discipline in such a way that in effect is going to nudge the child one more step toward becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, various forms of corrective discipline, or excuse me, God prescribes this kind of training for parents. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 22, 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Various forms of corrective discipline are seen in the Scripture, and these would include logical consequences, experiencing the fruit of sin, additional work, the loss of privileges and rewards, the rod of men, and corporal punishment. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. But there's a third key phrase that we need to focus on. The Scripture says, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. 
there are three actions that are involved in this kind of instruction. Uh, this is the word from which we would get neuthetic counseling or biblical counseling. And there's three key concepts in this. First, it involves discerning thinking and behavior that God wants to change. In 1st S 5.14 the Bible says to admonish the unruly. The, the Greek word translated unruly was a military term and it referred to a soldier that's out of step with the other soldiers. So as parents we look for thinking and behavior that is out of step with biblical Christianity or with godliness. We discern thinking behavior that's not biblical. Number two, using God's Word by verbal means to change the thinking and behavior. Paul said in Romans 15, 14, concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Now, when he said filled with all knowledge, he's not talking about chemistry or mathematics or chariot repair back then. What he's talking about was they knew the Bible. And because they knew the Bible, they were able to discern thinking behavior is not biblical and to verbally minister the Word of God to parents. I want to say to parents as a, as a word of advice, don't just talk about the Bible, use the Bible. I mean, there are times when you, you may need to say to your child, listen, get up to your room, get your Bible, get a notepad, get a paper, and meet me at the kitchen table in 10 minutes. And when, you, when they come to the table, you come with your Bible and you pull the sword of the Spirit out of the sheath and say, open your Bible to this passage. Put your finger on that verse. Read that to me. Explain that to me. Tell me what God wants you to think about and how He wants you to act. Don't just talk about the Bible. Use the Bible. And then the third concept with this word is we do this for the child's benefit and the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 4.12 says, I do not write these things to shame you but to admonish you as my beloved children. So when the Bible says bring the child up in the instruction of the Lord, here's what it means. You discern thinking behavior on the part of the child that's not biblical. You lovingly talk to them about it using the Bible. And the goal is for their benefit, but also for the glory of God. The goals are character development and equipping the child to think and act biblically on his own. The desire is that the child not only know what is right, but over the years the child will develop the spiritual convictions to do what is right. Parents, you realize, don't you, that the older a child gets, the more control over them you, lo you, you, ha you lose. I mean, when you've got a four-year-old, you can pretty well control who, who talks to them, who watches after them, the, the influences that come into their life. But just add 10. In fact, say that phrase with me, would you? Just add 10. One more time. Just add 10. That's a very important concept to think about. As you're dealing with issues with the kids, just add 10. You think it's tough now? Just add 10. And you can control a four-year-old, but when you've got a 14-year-old, there's so much of their life that you can't control. People, influences, friends, I mean, all kinds of people. That's why the older a child gets, the more important it becomes what is in their heart. Behavior is important, yes. But what's more important is why they do what they do. Who are they seeking to please? The goals are character development, equipping the ch child to think and to act biblically on his own. Therefore, the older a child gets, the more important it is that he and she have godly convictions. And I exhort you as parents, go for the child's heart. Go for their affections. Go for their motivations. Now, a way to accomplish that is to think about some convictions. 
that, that the child is going to hold in their life. And uh, in the, the handout for this morning, there are 10 scriptural convictions that children need to be taught. But let's review those quickly. The Bible is the inspired word of God and the final authority for my life. My purpose in life is to seek God with my whole heart and to build my goals around his priorities. My body is the living temple of God and must not be defiled by the lust of the flesh. My church must teach the foundational truths of Scripture and reinforce my basic convictions. My children and my grandchildren belong to God, and it is my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic convictions. My activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. Marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, and my marriage will be a lifelong commitment to God and my marriage. My money is a trust from God and must be earned and managed according to scriptural principles. My words must be in harmony with scripture, especially when reproving and restoring a Christian brother. And my affections must be set on things above, not on things of the earth. Parents, think with me. What would be in your heart if you're down here at somewhere between ages 18 and 22, and in effect you're standing in the driveway, and you're waving goodbye as your child is heading off for a job after college graduation, they're heading off to the military, they're, they're getting married, but in effect they're leaving your home nest. Parents, think about it. What would be in your heart if you were confident that your child had these 10 convictions? Most people say, man, I'd be so encouraged for them. I'd be so optimistic. I'd be so excited to see what's going to happen in their life. I'd be so gratified for God's grace in our life. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Parents, listen to me. There's only 10. You can teach these. There's only 10. What I want you to think about is this. As part of your disciple-making process and the instruction of the Lord... Why don't you think about taking this list? Let me give you a couple of ideas. Some would take this list. We're in the middle of July. Why don't you study up a little bit and say, at the beginning of August, we're going to take that first one, and we're going to devote the whole month of August to the, talking about the Bible. We're going to memorize one of those verses as a family, going to quote it, and I guarantee you, God will give you an opportunity to model for the children that the Bible is the final authority in our life. And then in the next month, we're going to go to point B. And one, we're going to devote our, our thinking our focus, our discussion around the dinner table, at times to discipline, at times to teach, we're going to focus around one of these each month. And we're going to go through all 10 of them, and then we're going to just start over and go through it again. Think about it. If you've got a 12-year-old, listen, you better get with it. You're two-thirds done. The clock's ticking. But if you had a 12-year-old, and you started that right now, think by the time your child leaves your home nest, and those have been reviewed and over and applied into their life. What a wonderful heritage. Some of you say, well, man, I don't know the Bible well enough. I couldn't talk about one of those for a whole month. I'd be repeating myself after a couple weeks. Well, okay. Why don't you talk about the first one for August 1 to 15? And then on the 16th, shift to the second one and focus on them every two weeks and keep doing that and repeating it. My point is, Parents want their children to have convictions. That doesn't happen by accident. And parents will ask, well, what do I teach? Here's what you teach, you see, to help you. Here's a, 
a book I want you to be aware of. This is called Sticky Situation. This is one of my favorite books. It's called 365 Devotions for Kids and Their Families. You open up uh, the book to just any page. It'll have a little paragraph or two talking about a sticky situation that a child might encounter. And then down below it, there'll be three or four questions to help you think through it. And at the bottom, there'll be some selected scripture that you might go to to help teach the child. And the book is designed to teach children how to think Christianly. And it's particularly beneficial, I think, for children like junior high and younger. The good news is the church has got a whole bunch of these out in the coffee area on the northwest corner at tremendous price. And uh, I'd encourage you to think about going by and picking up a copy. It's a tremendous tool to help teach children and raise them in the instruction of the Lord. Well, we need to move on. There's a fourth phrase that is very significant. This deals with the one most responsible to see that these things happen, fathers. The Bible teaches that the children are primarily the father, are primarily dad's responsibility. The children are primarily uh, dad's responsibility. The headship of the husband is a key Bible doctrine. Ephesians 5.23 says, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Further, God holds fathers primarily responsible for what happens with the children. God holds fathers primarily responsible. This is illustrated in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, where the Bible says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. I mean, here's a guy, he's a priest, he's in what we would call today vocational Christian ministry. And the Bible says his sons were worthless. And then to explain why they're worthless, they said they didn't even know the Lord. What a sad thing. And then to show you how God holds fathers culpable, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, who was an intern to Eli, the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I've told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. God held him responsible. And later God judged Eli and his sons with death on the same day. What this means is, when the Scripture teaches that God holds fathers primarily responsible, that means, dads, that we must view all others as our assistants. Mom, grandparents, teachers, pastors, coaches, and so forth. And you cannot blame others for the failure of your children. We are the one who is primarily responsible. Uh, Years ago, when um, we were just beginning the parenting process, at a conference, I heard something that really helped me in thinking about this. A man that was teaching said, a way for a, a husband, to, a father to think about this is put it in business terminology. And what that meant was I was to view myself as the president and CEO of Patent Incorporated. And at Patent Inc., what we're about is producing disciples of Jesus Christ. And Cindy and I prayed, but God would help us not just produce disciples, but champions for Christ. All right. Well, if you're the president and CEO of a company, you can't do it all the work by yourself. You need some help. What you really need is a good executive VP. And fortunately for me, for Pat and Inc., I had married an excellent VP. And uh, my wife is an outstanding mother and grandmother. And I would say from a human perspective, the good things that have happened to our family are far more due to my wife's influence on the children than on mine. Which just goes to show what a great job I did in hiring an executive VP. (laughs) But Cindy and I realized, you know, I mean, we can't do it all by ourselves. We're going to need help. 
And Cindy and I were both influenced by grandparents. So we went and had sit-down meetings with both of our parents and said, look, this is what we're trying to do. We know we're going to make some mistakes along the way. We invite your input. We want you to speak into the lives of our children. But we realized the grandparents are hours and hours away. We need closer help. And we went to people in our church that were a little further down the parenting process than we were, who seemed to be doing a good job. And we interviewed them, and then we invited them to speak into our lives as parents and to come alongside and to speak into the lives of our children. And my goal as the president and CEO was to build a team of people, as many as I could get, that would be saying the same thing to my kids and pointing my kids in the same direction as Cindy and I were pointing them. And dads, that's what your responsibility is. You can't do it all, but you are responsible to see that it gets done. One of the primary principles of parenting, excuse me, of of fathering, is to be there. To be there physically, mentally, and emotionally. It's important for all of these areas. And in our culture, there's a challenge for men to do each of those three. But we've got to do that. A lot of literature has been, information has been disseminated about the impact of a fatherless home. In the last four weeks, the American Family Association has released these figures. 24 million children in the United States live in a fatherless home. 40% of students in grades 1 to 12 come from homes with no biological father in them. 71% of teenage pregnant mothers have no father in the home. 70% of high school dropouts have no father present. And a child is four times more likely to live in poverty if there is no dad in the home. Dads, you are important. And I call you to get in the game, to get involved in this disciple-making process physically, mentally, emotionally, to give yourself to it. Now, the Scripture makes it clear that mothers are to be involved. Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. While fathers have the greatest responsibility for the children, mothers frequently have the greatest influence. Moms, I encourage you to leverage that influence, that natural ability to relate to the children that so many of you seem to have to make your children disciples of Christ. Well, there's a fifth phrase, and it talks about the tendency to avoid. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this phrase does not mean that you never upset, annoy, oppose, anger, displease, or cross a child. If that's what it meant, we're all out of business, right? It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that we should not handle our children in such a way that they will be incited to a wrathful kind of living and become angry young men and women. The Bible's warning is not about an incident of anger, but about a lifestyle of anger. It's not about an incident of anger, but about a lifestyle of anger. What the Scriptures are warning us about is to avoid raising a child like the person spoken of over and over again in Proverbs. For example, Proverbs 19, 19 speaks about a man of great anger. Proverbs 22, 24 talks about a man who's given to anger. Proverbs 25, 28 talks about a man who has no control over his spirit. God is saying to us, don't raise a child whose default response to not getting his way in life is to be angry. Now, to further help us, the New Testament talks primarily about two different kinds of anger. Two different kinds of anger. And you can see these in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. 
Uh, would you turn there, please? You've got your Bible open to Ephesians. Just back up a page or two for most of you. And look at verse 31. There are six attitudes, six behaviors that, that God says to get rid of in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. There are six. I want you to notice, look at your Bible, number two and number three in the list. Let all bitterness, that's number one, and all wrath be put away from you. This is the Greek word thumos. And here's a, here's a way to help you remember it. Think about a volcano and then picture the volcano exploding while you say the word. Thumos. That's exactly what it means. This is an explosive. This is the flaring outburst of rage. This is open rebellion. This is hostility. This is temper tantrums. In our culture, we have all kinds of phrases to talk about this. We talk about people going ballistic, people pitching a fit, people ranting and raving, people going postal. I mean, we got all these phrases that refer to what the Bible calls thumos, an explosive kind of anger. And God is saying, don't raise a child whose default response to not getting his way is thumos. But there's another type of anger mentioned in Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger. This is the Greek word orge. And here's a way to help remember. Just take that word orge and then emphasize it just a little bit. Orge. What that refers to is settled indignation. The slow burn. This is the willingness to wait for revenge. This is apathy. This is stubbornness. This is indifference. Withdrawal. This is subpar performance. This is moodiness. And God is saying to us, do not provoke your children to an angry, wrathful lifestyle. Again, it's not talking about an incident of anger. It's talking about a lifestyle of anger. And in your notes, you'll see a short list of ways that parents provoke to anger. And these are some of the most common that I have witnessed in my counseling ministry. Now, our verse is Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me try to summarize this verse through this diagram. And I'm going to ask you to look at the screen, if you would, um, for just a moment. The goal of parenting is to bring the child up. In our culture, it usually takes about 18 to 22 years. Get them ready to leave the home nest and handle life responsibly as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it take to do that? Well, it takes the discipline of the Lord. And you'll notice the discipline is high down in these early years, because even if you have just like a, a little two-year-old, you can start teaching a two-year-old a lot of things that will help them get ready for life by teaching a two-year-old, when mommy and dad tell you to do something, do it. All right? I mean, you can get a lot done. Now, I know children are bright, and uh, they can learn a lot, I know, but we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But the discipline of the Lord is important. And for some of you that are struggling with what's typically called the terrible twos, just add 10. <laughs> and something that may strengthen you to deal with a, a child that's giving you a run for your money at this point, just, just think about it. Man, if I face this attitude 10 years from now, I'm in trouble then. And we're not going to do that. We're going to get at it. All right? Now, it's not just that, excuse me, it's not just, I'm sorry, it's not just the discipline of the Lord, but it's the instruction of the Lord. And you notice, this starts down there. Yes, you can teach a two-year-old a lot, but just add 10. You can teach a 12-year-old a lot more. And so it's not either or, it's both and. They intersect. Now, another way of thinking about it would be this. Um, to bring them up, 
the older a child gets, there is decreasing parental responsibility. If you've got a six-year-old and the child misbehaves, I mean, as the parent, I mean, you're pretty much responsible. Add 10, you've got a 16-year-old and they misbehave, you're responsible some. They're responsible a whole lot more. So the older a child gets, as we're preparing them to leave, the more responsible they are for their behavior. But there's also increasing child responsibility the older they get. And I would encourage you as part of that process and getting them ready, you go for the mind. The behavior is always important, particularly in the younger years, but the older a child gets, the more important it is uh, that you go for their heart. Let me mention another resource that can be very helpful to you. Uh, this is called uh, the, the Faithful Parent by Stuart Scott and Martha Peace, two of our ACBC certified counselors. It's very well written, very, very helpful. And for some of you who have found maybe this teaching be helpful and you'd want some follow-up, this would be excellent. In addition to these books that I've shown you, there's some other select books out here that are just outstanding, and I hope you'll take time uh, to go look at them. In closing, I want to commend the staff and volunteers of College Park's Next Generation Ministries. Thank you, thank you for what you do to point our children and our grandchildren toward Christ and a life of biblical obedience. Thank you to all of you who've just served so valiantly during this last week of uh, Vacation Bible School especially. Also, I want to say a word to the individuals who are here without parenting responsibilities. Don't, don't miss the fact that this message was for you too. I exhort you to be alert to opportunities for strategic influence. Grandparents, over the course of the years, grandparents typically will have the ear of a grandchild who shut his ear to the parents. And I want to encourage grandparents to seize the moment, seize the influence you have, and use it to help make your, your grandchildren disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the singles and the married without children, I want to encourage you to consider volunteering in the Next Generation Ministries. I want to encourage you to consider identifying a single parent. That has to be one of the hardest jobs in our culture, being a single parent today. And come alongside that single parent in friendship, in encouragement, in meals, in providing some childcare. But look for opportunities to influence and to help others that are in the thick of it, raising children. And then finally, I want to say a word to the parents that are here. Some of you who would just say, man, I've blown it. We're really struggling. I wish I'd have heard this 10, 15 years ago. Well, let me encourage you. Turn to your small group for help. God has probably put right around you already some people that would be willing to come alongside and help you. Turn to them. And some of you might want to consider turning to the College Park Soul Care Department where people are trained and can help with these matters. God help us to recommit ourselves and think clearly about the process of parenting. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that through the preaching and teaching of your word, we'll not just know more about parenting, but we will be more committed to being the kind of parents and grandparents you want us to be. Help all of us to think strategically about the, live, the young lives, the teenagers, that we can influence for the cause of Christ. In his name I pray, amen.